Hello, everybody, and welcome to A Sport of Tea, the podcast where you can sit comfortably in your nice warm chair and listen to me talk about some of your favorite movies, books, and TV shows, and some of your least favorites. The tea of the day is Earl Grey, and Earl Grey is arguably one of the most well-known and popular teas amongst tea drinkers. But what is this tea's history? Now, unbeknownst to most, Earl Grey tea is kind of confusing in where it comes from. No one is 100% certain, but there are multiple stories as to how Earl Grey came about and why it is such a common drink. And we will talk about three of the main stories that are talked about. The first two stories are about an Earl, Charles Grey, also known as the second Earl Grey. The first story goes that on the way to China, the Earl saved a Chinese man's son. As a reward and to say his thanks, the man gave the Earl a recipe to a bergamot tea that was then renamed Earl Grey. However, this story is considered far-fetched, if not pure fallacy. Number one, it is unlikely that the Earl ever visited China due to rocky diplomatic issues. Number two, the bergamot fruit which is commonly found in Earl Grey, grows in Italy, not China. Number three, the Chinese man's identity is hugely unknown, and it's wondered if he would have had the ability to give a tea. The second story states that the Earl Grey halted a trade monopoly between Britain and China, who then gave the tea as a gift. This story is a little more likely, but also contains a couple holes. The third and final theory involves William Gray, who was a tradesman for the William and Gray Red Canister Company, who is just a hop and a skip away from the Earl Gray's manor. William Gray traded primarily in tea, even having a rhyme to go along with it. If your pockets and palates you both want to please, buy William Gray's finest of teas. His at four shillings is unequaled, they say, then come with your money and purchase of Gray. After the company went bankrupt, another tea company found the recipe and continued to make it, according to history, naming it after William Gray. This theory is the most widely accepted and makes the most amount of of sense. However, no one knows why it would be considered Earl Gray instead of just William Gray. Unfortunately, the truth remains that the history of the Earl Grey is shrouded in mystery and may forever remain that way. Thankfully, we can enjoy its delicious recipe today. Now, let's start talking about books. The series that I'm going to be talking about is the Zeros book series. There are only three books making it a trilogy by Scott Westerfield with a couple people who helped with it. The Zeros book series takes place in a small town in a Midwestern state, Arizona, maybe Colorado. Unclear where exactly. The Zeros book series takes place in our time, but there are superpowers. A bunch of children randomly got them. And this story focuses on six throughout the whole trilogy. First is Ethan, also known as Scam. Ethan's power is that he can manipulate people, dare I say it that way? It's not really manipulation because he doesn't 
want to necessarily manipulate people. And when we talk about characters, I'll explain this more. Next, we have Kylie, or Mob, who can control a crowd. And she can inject her emotions into the crowd. Next, we have Bellwether, or Nathan, who is the leader of the group. He can focus a group onto him or a specific goal. Unlike unlike Kylie, he can't really control the emotions of the crowd, only where their focus is. He's also known as the glorious leader to some people in the group. Next, we have Kizara, or Crash. She can make technology fall apart, and she can rebuild it. If basically, if it has an electrical impulse, she can control it, kind of. Next, we have Flicker, or Riley. Flicker is blind and has the ability to see things through other people's eyes, which is kind of creepy if you think about it for a little bit. Next, we have Tybalt, or Anonymous. He can disappear, and not just disappear. I mean, you don't even remember this guy, anything about him. The only reason Flicker, who's the only one who really remembers, is because she spent a lot of time with him and had her sister tell her stories about Anonymous. Now that we've done a little thousand's eye view, thousand feet view, let's talk about the characters. We're going to start with Ethan. Ethan is my favorite character, mostly because he is a good mixture of arrogant, he has problems, he has issues that he's trying to work out, but he also is kind at heart. Although sometimes it can be hard to see because of his voice. Which is something that was kind of interesting is he's almost schizophrenic in that sometimes when he's talking with the voice, he sounds arrogant. He sounds like he knows everything. He couldn't be bothered by anything. Whereas when it's Ethan himself talking, he's unsure, anxious, he's shy. Which I think is kind of interesting to see in a character because, I mean, if you think about it, you usually don't see those kind of characters. I also liked how he's very well written in that you can tell that he is struggling throughout the series to come to terms with his power, which his power is, all of their powers, are hard to deal with. I mean, being a teenager already is hard enough. Add in a superpower that isn't always the most reliable, and bam, you have a disaster. But one thing that I found that I really liked about how he was written in comparison to the others was that he knows something is off. He is well aware of the fact that his power is different from everyone else's. And he's scared. I often don't see characters who are truly scared because of themselves. They usually enjoy being different. And it's nice to see a character who just wants to be like everyone else for a change. Next, we have Kylie. She is a party girl at first. Her character kind of mellows out towards the end, becoming a more vocal 
person, but also she too needs to learn how to use her power. In the second book, she goes through a bit of a existential crisis that continues through the third book. But at first, she is more arrogant. They're all arrogant, actually. They all are, to a certain extent, cocky. And I'll talk about the other's type of arrogance later. Kylie is more arrogant in that nothing can hurt her until she meets all the zeros and she meets all the people who do want to harm her. Then she begins to realize, I'm not so invincible as I thought. Next, you have Bellwether. He is arrogant as well. As I said, they're all arrogant in different ways. Bellwether is aware of the fact that everyone's attention is on him. He is the leader, after all. That's probably a good thing. Probably for the better that they're all paying attention to him. But sometimes he misuses that power. He sometimes manipulates them in ways that would be considered bad in our society. But at the same time, he usually has a good reason. I'm using, I'm putting air quotes over the good. He's manipulating them, but he's manipulating them so that they can actually get stuff done. Because they tend to fight a lot, all the zeros. And so, I mean, I can see why he's like, ah, you know, maybe it's better to just manipulate them and then we can deal with the fallout later. But anyways, next we have Kizara, my least favorite character. She comes across as whiny to me. Every time she talks about a problem, she brings up a characteristic of her that doesn't make sense. For example, there was one time when she's in the police station, they're going to rescue Ethan, and she's dressed in a janitor's uniform. Most people don't pay attention to those kind of things. She's in the police station, and she has this inner monologue of, oh, they're not paying attention to me because I'm a black girl in a janitor's uniform. No, Kizara, they're not paying attention to you because they have no reason to. You're doing your job, or they suspect you're doing your job. They just are doing theirs as well. And that really bothered me, not because of necessarily the fact that race came up as... But anyways, it just felt whiny to me. And I don't really like the whiny characters. But some people may like her, and she does have her redeeming qualities. She is a voice of reason often. She does seem to be the only character who is aware of how dangerous they all are. And she does have more of a moral compass than the rest of them. So she does have redeeming characteristics. But again, she's pretty whiny. She comes across as pretty whiny to me. And that just bothers me. But personal opinion right there. Which is what this all is about, actually, if you think about it. Next, we have Flicker. Flicker is, I mean, she's a girl who's blind trying to live in a world with seeing people, which cannot be easy, but she makes do. And because she has her superpower of being able to see through other people's eyes, she's not as disabled. I mean, she still can't see for through her own, but she's able to sometimes figure it out. 
and she is a good character. I love how she's written. She is complex in that she wants help at times, but she also wants to be independent. She doesn't want to have to rely on people all the time. And I think that that is something that all people feel. We want to be able to have help, to know that there are people out there who will help us. But at the same time, we would also be very happy if we could just do what we want, if we could be independent. And so that battle between her it of wanting to be helped and wanting to have people who support her, but also wanting to be independent and being able to live life on her own is a battle that I think some of us can relate to. Finally, we have Tybalt, or Anonymous. He is the most interesting character in this series because he is so complex in that he is constantly abandoned and yet he never is abandoning others. He, uh, I mean, until later, he is always there for his friends, even if they aren't aware of it. When he has to take care of Ethan and make sure he's okay, he never leaves Ethan to be by himself. He always makes sure that Ethan is well taken care of, even though sometimes Ethan forgets about him. And I think that that constantly being abandoned and neglected and then having to help other people is an interesting character complexity that I'm kind of glad was in this in these books and I it's nice to see a character who is caring without necessarily always being cared for thankfully throughout the books he does become well more well known to his friends even though they sometimes forget him they don't forget everything about him so that is a good part of his character arc that I liked was him getting that friendship, that support that he truly needed, even if he didn't realize it. And now, let's talk about each book by itself. The first book, Zeros. This book was the book that hooked me, obviously. It's good that the first book hooks you in. And I loved how the plot was super simple, at its core, but also there were many different things going on. Um, there was a lot of different plot lines being written, all of the different characters, like Kazara had her own thing going on, Ethan had his, Kylie had hers, Riley had hers, like all of them had something else going on, and yet they still combined at times. They still weaved around each other, which was an interesting way of writing. And it was cool to see six main characters being shown off, all with different abilities, personalities, even if they have similarities, being themselves and having to do their own thing and still be within the weaving of the book. <clears throat> I also enjoyed how this book was the stepping stone. Like, it felt like the first step which is a good thing about these books, is they logically fall after each other. The first book is kind of setting in stone of, like, they're not known at first. No one knows about them. Everyone thinks they're just normal kids. Well, everyone but their families. 
And then throughout the book, they become more known. They become, Ethan becomes almost famous. Um, and they all become people. And then you get to the second book. People are beginning to learn about these powers. And you see the popping up of people who want to hunt them. Or you see how there are new monsters that they're finding out about. How there are new dangers that they need, that they're discovering. And so the first book really felt like a good first step. And I know usually the first book is the best. I think the first book isn't the best, but I think it is a great first book. Next is Swarm. This book was 50-50 for me. I enjoyed it. I read it again. I reread these books a lot, so I know them very well. But I wouldn't necessarily say that this was the best book. It was shorter than the rest of them, so I felt like it ended too soon. And as I said, these books all follow a logical next step. So this book is more about how they're beginning to find more people with more powers. Two new people show up with two very new powers, disrupt their equilibrium that they had gained after between the time of the first and second book, they'd gained kind of an equilibrium. They'd figured out their lives like, oh, you know, we've got this. We can do this. And now they have to refigure it out. And so this book is about them having to also deal with this new character who is the bad guy, Swarm. And he is just wants to make Mob into him and also like destroy everything basically and I wish he was a little more complex that we had seen the battle a little bit more it felt like the battle between swarm and the zeros was way too fast small detail but it felt a little too fast for a logical big battle but that was kind of the theme is the battles in this or the the more action-y parts tend to go by pretty fast. And then you get back into the, how do we deal with the aftermath? How do we deal with the problems that pop up because we're having powers? And so the action is there. There is definitely action that happens throughout these books, but they tend to come fast and then are gone quicker than I would like. But I do enjoy seeing the aftermath of, hey, there are consequences for actions. Like, at the end of the book, one of the characters is go- is in prison. Um, all of the other characters are on the run. And so it's cool to see consequences, which sounds strange. But this is just something I've noticed. A lot of books, it feels, and movies and TV shows too, it feels like there's never a consequence for actions. Like a character could do, could steal something or murder someone or accidentally harm someone. And there's no consequence unless it's plot related. But then there's no consequence. And well, yes, you could say that, that like any consequence is plot related. But there's just, it feels like there's never a true consequence for the issue. It's always dismissed. Whereas in the Zero's books, there are consequences for actions. And so 
that leads to the next book, Nexus, which was um, my favorite book. I loved how the series wrapped up. It wasn't the way I thought it was going to wrap up, but it was still a very good way of wrapping it up. And this book takes place in New Orleans. It's the only book that really takes place everywhere but the hometown. We never see the hometown. I mean, maybe it was mentioned once, but it takes place mostly in other areas or in New Orleans. And this book really dives into the issues of how do you deal with powers? All of a sudden you have a bunch of people with different abilities that you can't necessarily like restrict. I mean, that doesn't make sense. And so it was kind of a political battle, not a political battle, but a battle between how do we deal with these powers? And also you had the power of should a leader be able to do the things that are sometimes seen as crazy? Should a leader be able to do things that are immoral to most people, but do it for the right reasons? So that's kind of the inner battle that we're that was going on. Each one had their own battle. Ethan was very interested in what, can I find someone else like me? Is there anyone else in the world who has the same abilities? Mob is trying to deal with the aftermath of Swarm and how she can become that. She is met with people being scared of her, all or people with powers who are scared of her because they're worried that she'll be like Swarm. And she's dealing with, well, I like it when, I like the feeling of the crowds. Maybe I'd like it when I command a crowd to harm people. Kizara is dealing with moral issues. Are we doing the right thing? Or should we leave this to people who are trained for this, who can do this. I actually liked Kazara in this book. Again, still whiny, but she, I actually liked her in this book more than I liked her in the other books. It felt like she'd gone from being whiny to being, hey, I have a legitimate concern, and instead of talking about it as if no one cares, I actually am going to bring it up and make a conclusion from there. Because before it felt like every time she brought up something, she brought it up in an inner monologue and never talked about it, like, to her teammates. So they never knew. It's like, you should probably bring it up to your teammates if you're that interested in what it is. And so in this book, she gains a little more confidence. And she also finds other crashes like her and finds a new side street to her ability that I would have never thought of but it's kind of cool to think about and when you I won't spoil it because it's kind of a big thing but it was yeah um bellwether is struggling with am I a leader do I deserve the name of a leader or am I just pretending am I a puppet am I a fraud um flicker is worried for Anonymous, who is kind of in the middle of figuring out if he wants to remain with the Zeros or if he wants to leave and stop bad things from happening. And Tybalt in this book is interesting in how he's 
almost written as if he doesn't feel like he's not in the book. Like you're reading about him from outside of the book. Like they're the characters in the book and then you have Tybalt and he's just in the in the nether regions. No one knows where he is. He's just there. And then when he finally comes and he's still and he's actually with them, he still feels like he's not actually present. Like he's just pantomiming being a person when he's really just pretending to be a person. So it was interesting. Um, again, this book, the way it wraps up is very interesting in that it's not how I logically would have thought it would go. It wasn't the predictable ending that I expected. There is an epilogue at the end that talks about, or that Ethan talks about, talks in air quotes. You guys can't see me, so. But he talks about why he's knows everything like he figures out oh hey that wall between my voice and my brain is gone now I know what the voice knows and so he now is aware of all the things that the voice was aware of so he's now actually omniscient and Ethan um is explaining where they where all of the zeros are now and what they're all doing and how they're using their powers for the greater good. And there's a moment in time in the book when it almost makes a political statement in a way, but also it kind of makes a good statement of maybe we need to rethink our moral standards because We need to stop seeing things from one perspective and look. We need to stop following a crowd and doing whatever it does. We need to stop focusing on one thing. And so, and sometimes we need to start focusing on other things. But um, it kind of makes a political statement at the end. It's up to interpretation, so... Who should read the book? This book, I would place, if it was in a Barnes and Noble section, I would place in the young adults. I do not think anyone younger than eighth grade should read it. And I have three reasons for that. Number one, the content itself. There is nothing sexual. There's nothing, there's no, uh, there's a little bit of bad language, but there's really nothing explicit. But the content itself, the Themes throughout are much more adult-ish. They're more teenager-y. That's not a word. And so I would say that 8th grade would be my placement. Again, content. Number two, that's where most people place it. I would not put it in the, in the kids section, you know, with the chapter books. Again content and also length these books are 450 pages the the smallest one is four for 11 pages so i would not put them because of length too and the third reason and this one's going to be kind of strange is the way it's written it feels like it's written for a more mature audience 
again, I've talked about content. This is more of how it's written, grammatical sentences, how things are formulated. I would say that, again, eighth grade and up. If you love fantasy, this isn't really a fantasy book. It's not really a dystopian or a utopian either. It's more of a modern fiction. It takes place in our universe, kind of, again, with powers. And so if you like modern fiction, I'm, you might like this, with a little bit of action and adventure, of course. And now I'd like to say thank you for joining me. I hope you liked A Brief History of Earl Grey Tea. And my thoughts and opinions on the Zeros book series by Scott Westerfield. Thank you. Hope you join me next episode.